For those of you who don't know me, my name's Tom, and I'm the family's pastor here at Restoration Church, and uh, I get the real privilege, and it is a privilege, most of the time, to be in charge of the kids and the youth ministries here in the church. It's a joy to do it. This morning, I've been given the opportunity to speak to you about whatever I would like. I'm not bound by a series, and I have a lot of free reign, and it's very, very dangerous for that to be the case especially for the kids and the youth bloke. So Pete, you might regret this with a, with a few things that are coming up a bit later on. I was initially very, very excited to be able to preach to you all today. However, as I have just been considering it over the last couple of months, to be quite honest, as it's got closer and closer, it's become increasingly more challenging to know how I was actually going to share with you all. We've got the youngest of ears in the room to the oldest of hearing aids in the room. And to all of them, the message is the same. Yet how do we make it applicable as well? And so I started by thinking, well, what is it that we all share in common? And so I've come up with five things that I think we all share in common regardless of our age. And so the first one is this, we all like food. You may not, some love it more than others, but you all have to eat it at some point. Second one is sleep. I haven't had much of this recently with a newborn, but sleep is something that we all do need and we all at times enjoy. Number three We all like to put our sauce in the fridge. That is the correct place as where it goes. That's my first rebuke of the morning. Number four, we all hate cats. That's a very common theme here at Restoration Church. Can I get an amen or a clap? Thank you. Does that just not look demonic? Look at it. Looks like me when I wake up in the morning, to be honest. These are four perhaps a bit silly things that we all share in common, but there's a fifth more serious one that I'd like you all to consider. And it's this. We are all prone to pursue things other than God. We are all prone to pursue things other than God. Just think about it for a moment. I think if you do, just pause and consider your own life, you'll realize that it's true. And if you have kids, you'll see it in them as well. Let me give you some examples. You might be a real gym junkie, go to the gym five or six days a week, you'll train every morning, you'll put all of your time, your effort, your money into pursuing this to try and get the most enjoyment and the best body that you can out of it. But seldom, if ever, do you take the time to serve others, to even just be at church or just to read your Bible. Kids and youth, this is a bit more for you, but it can be adults as well. Maybe you're happy to each night sit down, put a movie on or scroll through your phone mindlessly looking at TikTok or Snapchat or Facebook or whatever it is it is that you're using and you end up becoming an absent child or parents if that's you you become an absent parent but even worse you'll miss out on some real world opportunities to actually invest in kingdom things like hey maybe devotion with your kids or maybe you're so consumed by the business that you own climbing that corporate ladder or trying to work bigger and bigger hours to get to that next step that you actually begin to neglect meeting with other believers as the scriptures exhort us to actually do. I write this list not critically, but honestly pretty easily because many times in the past, and even sometimes now, it can actually be me. I have often in my life sought things over godly pursuits because left to myself, I know that I am prone to wander. I will go to whatever makes me most comfortable and to whatever suits Tom the best. And so with that in mind, I'm supremely confident that there are a number of you in this room today who could very well be at present wasting your life on meaningless pursuits. 
wouldn't you rather be pursuing something that brings fulfillment and joy both for this lifetime and the one to come? Wouldn't you rather invest in something that has eternal benefits, not just for a few mere decades? All too often, we focus inwardly on whatever we want to pursue and things that will fill us. But in the end, any pursuit outside of Jesus Christ will leave you empty and wanting in the life to come. This morning, we're going to look at three points in this shorter sermon that are going to help us to see more clearly that we should be investing in eternal things, especially over that of temporal short term. So first, we're going to look at what are the benefits, if there are any, of physical pursuit. Secondly, we're going to look at what are some pitfalls or dangers of these worldly pursuits. And finally, we're going to explore what the better fitness is. But before we get to that, I want to invite up Lysh Gilmore, wherever he is sitting. He's going to read our passage for this morning. Where are you, Lysh? Here he comes. Give him a clap before he's even done it. So they can see you. Let's just maybe get you here. There we go. I love you, bud. Go for it. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 to 10. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all people, and especially of those who believe. Thanks, Lysh. And grab a seat, bud. That was excellent. As I've been processing what we're going to be sharing today, I, uh, I would have loved it if the Lord had laid on my heart something a little bit easier about just how Jesus loves the children and just talk about how great they are. And we'll do that. But to be honest, there's a bit of a harder challenge in it that's been a challenge for me also. And so let's unpack this text, this text together this morning. Put your hand up if you're in this room and you like to do some physical training. Hand up if you like to go to the gym, go for a run, things like that. Okay, a fair few of you. Now put your hand up if you like to just donate weekly to the gym. Maybe a bit of a weekly tithe but never actually go. That can be me. I feel a lot better having the membership um, even though I may not be using it. There's a few people who work in this church who like to do some physical training themselves. And the first one is this. Uh, if we can go to that. Yeah, Peter Sondergeld himself. Uh, I got sent this selfie from him quite a while ago um, because he was trying to boast about the fact that he's working out with Wayne Bennett in the gym. Can any of you actually see Wayne Bennett in that photo? <laughs> there he is. That could be Graham Kerr, could be Laurie Meir, could be anyone sitting at the back on that gym. I had no idea that was Wayne Bennett, but that is Pete working out with Wayne Bennett. And as you can tell, he is jacked. The next one's actually some video footage from Karen that she sent me of Pete a few years ago. <laughs> That's Pete Milliken, just for you to know. The footage is a bit blurry because in America, they don't actually have like, good quality cameras. So that's, it was filmed over in the States. We could just play that all week. I love gifts. Hey, look, going to the gym... Physical training, even pursuing earthly things, isn't all bad. I do, I joke about not going, but I do enjoy going to the gym. Lifting some weights, working off the KFC, trying to get the blood pumping. And you know, it has a lot of good benefits for you. Going to the gym and exercising those pursuits, it can lower blood pressure, it can make it a bit easier to walk upstairs, it can be good for your mental health. There are lots and lots of good things about working out like that. 
And so let me make it clear from the start this morning, physical health, exercise and pursuing success, be it in that sporting team, the job, even the choir, whatever it is that you're trying to do, the Apostle Paul himself isn't saying that physical training is bad. In fact, the very first part of verse 8, he says physical training is of some value. We should do it. We need to do it. Going for a run, playing sports, preparing your food well, the things that we do that provide our body physical training are not bad and they offer some value. On top of this, we need to consider as well that our bodies are actually a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so it's really, really important that we actually care for our bodies. Paul's not trying to tell Timothy, you or me, that we need to give up our gym memberships, stop playing a sport or pursuing the things that we need to in life. However, there are some very real dangers with pursuing worldly things. And that's what we're going to look at next in point number two to try and understand what it is that Paul's saying. And so, what are the pitfalls of worldly pursuit? To answer this question, we have to firstly define what is a pitfall? What does it actually mean? And it literally means that it's a hidden or an unsuspected danger. And so, to put it simply, what are some of the hidden or unsuspecting dangers that might exist in pursuing worldly things? I think we could sit here all day and probably make an endless list with how many there are, but I'm just going to give you two. One of which I've seen mostly through experience, and the other one that we actually see clearly in the passage from today. You know, my heart for this message is that I have seen too many people that I both know and love, both in and out of the faith, who have decided to pursue worldly temporal things. And it shipwrecks them every single time. Might be a small business, a relationship that isn't that healthy, might be substance abuse. It could even just be a fixation on making some sort of sporting team or some sort of goal in life. All of these things, they have started out with good intentions, but it hasn't always ended up there. Often people who seek these things alone, it causes great harm. You know, Jesus talks about these kinds of things all the time in the Gospels. And we're going to look at two examples that we see briefly in Matthew chapter 6 and then in Mark chapter 8. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus is talking specifically about money in this setting. But he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, we see Jesus also say, for what shall it profit a man if he's to gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? There's a guy that I know who I grew up with personally. In fact, he's very close to me. And this man, he was raised in a Christian home. He had two loving Christian parents who most Sundays, they would take him and his family to church. They would participate in that church life just like everyone else. However, there was something different about this kid. He was very, very talented at sport. In particular, cricket. He was supremely talented at cricket. And so as high school came around, he began to not be at church on Sundays because they realized that there was a greater commitment for him to participate in this sport. And so each Sunday, they'd be away or they'd be at his events. And this started as just something that was just a short-term thing, but before long, it became the pattern of their life, not just for this kid, but for all of them and that entire family. As he grew up, he was never able to participate in other church life youth groups or things like that because he was so consumed with the need to train. 
Slowly but surely, their priorities shifted. Now, to this day, this guy has done incredibly well at his sport. He currently plays in the BBL. He plays for Queensland Cricket. He's played for Australia a few times. And he still trains really, really hard so that he can chase a leather ball around a field. And good on him. He has done well. He's made a lot of money, a lot more than I'll ever see in ministry. He's met some incredible people. And he has done some things that as a kid, I could only ever dream of. But there is something that is so very, very sad about this man to this very day. It's that at this point in time, he doesn't love Jesus. He is so consumed by his own world and the things that are in it, that at this day, he doesn't love Jesus yet. And we're praying for that. Now, I'm not here to beat up on people who take their kids to sport or activities. That's not the point of today's message. And I also understand the doctrine of the sovereignty of God and his work in salvation. I'm not here to say, and I can't promise this to you, that if you drag your kids along every single week to church, they'll 100% want to follow Jesus. I can't guarantee that for you. However, what I can say is this, that for this guy in the story, and sadly so many like him, they grow up in a way in which Jesus is molded to suit them. They will go to church when it suits them. They won't engage in godly community because it doesn't suit them. They are so consumed by the worldly pursuits that start out good and they just chase after it until it shipwrecks them. And to be clear, I'm not actually just talking about this person as an example. I've seen it here. I love you all deeply and that's why it grieves me some weeks to look across the room and to see people who aren't connected. I know that there are real challenges. I get that. I honestly get that. There are some real challenges and there's grace for that. But in some instances, it's just downright the fact that you're chasing after other things but God. This story that I've told, it's the real danger. It can happen. That you, like your children and you yourself, will get so caught up in whatever earthly pursuit it is that you're chasing after, that Jesus, you may not not believe in him, but you just decide not to even follow him and you just ignore him altogether. And to be honest, don't say it won't happen to you because even at my younger age, I've seen it happen time and time again. And you ask any pastor and they'll say exactly the same thing. I long to see young people come to know the Lord. That's why I took this job. I was in a very comfortable job. It paid a lot better. I'd been there for a long period of time. The hours are a bit less all over the shop. And the only reason that I took it was because the Lord called me into this and because I have a heart to see kids come to know the Lord. That's it. That is it. And the day that that isn't the call of my life, I'm out. I'll go back to selling things or doing what else I was wanted to do. You know what? My youth games aren't that good. My jokes are terrible. And I cry a lot. I've been crying this morning just in worship. I'll probably cry again in a minute. But my heart is convinced that we all need Jesus. We all need him. And there is a battle going on each and every day for your kids, for their souls. Some of you need to wake up and realize that. Parents, wake up. There is a battle going on for your kids' souls. They live in a contested space, a world where they are being thrown all sorts of messages about how the aim and the goal of life is to please themselves. And it's a lie. And sadly, too many are falling to it. 
I'm sick of it, to be honest. That story I tell, it's deeply personal. He's my cousin. I love him to bits. He's a great guy. But you know what? I don't really give a damn about his sporting career. I don't really care about how much money he's made made or will make. I wish only that he'd come to know Jesus as Lord. Only a couple of months ago, I was speaking with his dad, actually, at a family party. We had a good chat about all sorts of things. And he is so grieved to see the path that his son has chosen. He's grieved by it. He's proud of him, absolutely, for the achievements that he's made and the things that he's done. But he's grieved. And there's questions in his own mind that he was talking about with me about just going, oh, did we make the right choice to pursue those things at that age? Did we do the right thing there? So the first pitfall is this. You can't serve two masters. As kids, if you can hear me, as youth, as adults, you need to decide whom it is that you want to serve. You need to decide that. And this leads me to the second pitfall, and I'm going to stay on the cricket theme here. There's a bloke named Warney. There he is. Whoever thought that they'd see a photo of Shane Warne in church? Legend of cricket. I wouldn't say that he's up there for his uh, physical health, as the example, between his pies and cigarettes, but he was a superstar of the game. He is one of the best, if not the best bowlers and even cricketers of all time. And sadly, he died not all that long ago whilst overseas on a holiday of a heart attack, which didn't really surprise anyone who knew his lifestyle, but he's passed away. And I remember watching his funeral and listening to all these greats, it was a state funeral, talk about how great he was, his success, his love for life, and how he just lived it every day. And they would actually joke about his carefree party attitude. Warney lived for today, and he lived for whatever made him most satisfied. And you know what? Most people would call him successful. In fact, by the world standards, he's a great success. Yet sadly, this is what we are also taught today in society. You all see it. Get rich, climb the ladder, own a new car, bigger house, chase a sporting dream, party hard. Just be free to do whatever it is that you like. Live for today. And adults, it's not just you. Kids, there is almost just an angst in you about the need to try and pursue, to grab the the best grades, to make the team, to get the best girlfriend, boyfriend. In fact, it was just a few weeks ago, I was leading a Bible study with some of our seniors here at church. And the question came up and I said to them, what is it that makes you most anxious? And unanimously in that group, they all shared they were anxious about the need that they felt to succeed to such a high level in life. It's not a bad thing to get married, to have the house, to have the car. I'm not demonizing those things. What I'm saying to you is that if that becomes the sole, sole pursuit of one's life over Jesus, then it's a big problem. The second pitfall is this. We are not to live for this life alone. Because the achievements of this life will not help you. That will be no good to you in the life to come. Paul says this in verse 8 of chapter 4. He says, Godliness holds value for all things, holding promise for both this life and the life to come. It's only a couple of weeks ago that Pete Sondergill was talking about the fact that this isn't our home. It's not our home. We reside here now, 
But there is a day coming, it could be today, could be in a hundred years, when you will leave this home and you will go to the real one with Jesus. And you're going to be there forever, for all of eternity, in His presence. Shane Warne has a grandstand at the MCG named after him. People are going to remember him for a very long time. They'll tell stories about him and pubs all around the country. And he did. He achieved some pretty great things. However, what does it matter if his name is written on some stadium in Melbourne, but it's not written in the book of life? He's bankrupt. It's worthless. People can look at the sign forever. But if he's not with Jesus, well, then it's all been a waste. Paul wants Timothy, he wants you, he wants me to see this. And he's telling us, don't live your life for the temporal, earthly pursuits. You should put your time, your effort, your resources, your desires towards the very things that last and that are eternal themselves. So we've looked at why physical training is good. We've looked at what are some of the pitfalls or issues that come as a result of it. And I now want to finish by looking at what are some godly eternal pursuits. This old story was shared with me a little while ago, and uh, it is true. You're welcome to look it up afterwards. And it's this. There's an old missionary couple who'd been working over in Africa. And for years, they'd been serving, roughly 25 to 30 years of their life. They had no pension. They had no money believes that they lost one of their kids while they were over there as well. And they were traveling back to America to retire at a much older age. Now, this is back before planes, and they were coming back on a ship, and they were with the then president, Teddy Roosevelt. They were on the same ship with him as he was coming back from one of his big game hunting expeditions. Now, this whole time, no one was paying any attention to these missionaries on the ship. They were watching the fanfare that accompanied the president with the passengers trying to catch, all trying to catch a glimpse of this president, but no one cared for them. They were just other passengers. As the ship was moving, this missionary wife turned to her husband and said, something is wrong. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service for God in Africa? And, and then for all of these years to be coming back home and no one to care a thing about us. This man, he's just coming back from overseas after killing some animals. And everyone's making a big deal about him, but no one about us. He said to his wife, dear, you shouldn't feel that way. And she said, but I just can't help it. It just doesn't seem right. When the ship docked in New York, there was great fanfare for the president. There was a band outside playing. There were dignitaries there. All the newspapers were filled with the president arriving back home. But the missionaries, well, they walked off this ship. No one said anything. They just went about their day. That night, the man's spirit broke. He turned to his wife and he said, I can't take this. God's not treating us fairly. We deserve better. And his wife said, well, why don't you go to the bedroom and go chat about it with the Lord? A short time later, he came out of the bedroom, but his face was now completely different. Completely different. And his wife asked, dear, what, what happened? What changed? And he said, well, the Lord settled it with me. 
I told him how bitter I was, that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming, and yet no one would meet us when we returned home. And when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, but you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Restoration Church, those who follow Jesus, you are not home yet. There is no fanfare that's promised for those who follow Jesus in this lifetime. It's just not. It's just not. So why should you pursue things with eternal value over temporal value? Because you're not home yet. That's why. This life will provide you, and it does provide you, with the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus. And not just to hear it, but you also get the chance to share it with others. To tell others about it. That's what these missionaries did. They never saw the the reward in this lifetime, but I can guarantee that they saw a greater reward when they reached heaven. And when they truly got home and they heard those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That is a far greater reward than anything available in this lifetime. This is why you should pursue eternal things. Because we have, as believers, the best news ever. As followers of Jesus, we have life eternal. We have true life in Him. Don't you want others to experience that for themselves? To see and to know how great Jesus is and that fulfillment is found in Him alone. Don't you want your kids, those in your family who you love, who don't follow Him, even your neighbors to come to know Jesus? I do. Absolutely I do. There are some of you in this room, kids and adults, who you need to come to Jesus yourself. He offers you his life in exchange for your sin. And you can take that. And you could do that today. And that would be a great thing. But for the rest of you who are in this room, who already trust in Jesus, let me give you what are, I think, some very practical things that are some very godly activities, not for you to get saved, not for you to get saved, but rather for the sanctification that comes or becoming more Christ-like that comes as a result. Let me give you five things. First one's this. You should read some scripture. That would be a really good thing for you to be doing. And that's going to take some discipline. You've got to turn your phone off. You've got to turn the TV off. Maybe you've got to cut back from the gym sessions of six a week back to five. Get up a bit earlier, whatever it is. But you can discipline yourself so you can read scripture hear God's word. That would be good. That would be a really good thing to do and a really good godly pursuit. Second one's to pray. We can all pray for, to say grace at dinner, but do we actually mean it? Do you actually pause and pray and, and even praise and give thanks for God's goodness and what it is that he's been doing? You should pray in all things. Whenever you're sick or happy, at home, at work, at school, wherever you are, take the time to stop and to pray. I used to love the fact that when I was growing up, I'd leave my grandfather's house from up at the Sunshine Coast, and before we'd hop in the car, every single time, he would always say, let's have a little prayer together before we'd go. It was built into us as a family that we would pray. Thirdly, I'd say to you, you should serve. Not because we need volunteers, but because the church is actually the bride of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. It's being prepared for him, and it actually takes work for that to happen. And so you should find an area to serve in the kingdom. There's stuff at church you can be doing. You could do school RI. You could do coffee. You could do winter shelter. There is a whole range of things that you can do. 
And I would also say to you, don't just do it yourself, serve with your family. Some of the greatest memories I have growing up is of the fact that we'd be at church painting bees and my dad would be there on the roller and all, you know what? All the kids would be there as well. We'd all be there. Fourthly, I'd say to you, attend. Just be committed to the church. There's actually no category found in the Bible for someone who is just casually in the church. It's an all-in deal. Make it the priority each week to gather, to worship, to encourage one another and be with his people. And I'd even add to that, kids' church, youth group, community group, try your best to be involved as much as possible and to sow your life into the church. Even if that means you miss out on a sporting event that morning or maybe a morning coffee. And fifthly, I want you just to consider, just to reflect on your life at the moment and ask yourself this question. Do you personally make space for the Lord in your week? Or is he just some side thought or even perhaps a religious practice where he just comes up? Do you need to be working that extra job to try and save that little bit of money? Do you need to be participating in that sporting team? Do you need to be watching that movie on your phone, doing those things instead of pursuing Jesus? Is that really going to be sowing into the eternal that's to come? If you do these things, and plus many more, that are pursuing godly eternal things, you'll, you will be sowing into an eternal kingdom where you will see people around you, in your family, and those that you don't even know yet, come to the faith. Not only come to Jesus and have life eternal, but also come alive in their own faith. Now, before you think that I'm preaching some sort of workspace sermon, it's not me saying it. The Apostle Paul is very clear on the fact that faith alone in Jesus is what saves you. However, he also knew that there was actually a physical, tangible work that needed to happen for others to be able to hear this good news. In verse 10 of what we read earlier, chapter 4, he says, That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God. He's talking about a doing, laboring, striving. He sees that there's a work to be done a task at hand, and so he's disciplined about it. And he's calling Timothy and you and I today to be likewise, to sow into godly things, invest in the eternity to come with your pursuits, not the temporal earthly things that the world tells you to follow instead. Last thing I want to say is this. I want to offer a word of hope of encouragement to you parents who at the moment your kids aren't interested in church, Jesus, or perhaps even just having a conversation with you. You know, Jesus is in the business of salvation. A little earlier in that same letter of, of, uh, of Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes these words. He says, God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. We could do a whole other sermon and unpacking that. But I want to say this to you, that while breath is in your loved one's lungs, hope remains. That's the good news. There is hope. And I also say to you this, as parents, don't ever stop praying for your kids. I won't look at my parents when I say this next bit. I am so thankful to them and my grandparents 
and as well as a bunch of other faithful saints who would pray for me, who would write down letters that I would receive 18 years later or come across when you're cleaning out an old box of a prayer that they were writing for you. That has happened a lot for me. And I am convinced that when I was a kid not seeking the Lord, not interested, that those prayers were effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so you should pray for your kids. If you're not as a parent, why not? Why not? Your kid's going to stand before God one day. You can't get them in. They can't be sick on that day. They're going to stand before God. So you should pray for them. And finally, to those in need of a bit of hope with your kids, I would say to you this. Please don't forsake your own personal walk with the Lord. The way in which you grow in the Lord will actually become evident to those around you. Before I could understand a lot, I was shaped, I was formed, I was molded by the actions of my parents, of my grandparents, and of those in the church around me. Now, I'm not saying that those people and my parents are perfect. I get that. But they did demonstrate for me how to not live for self or for earthly possessions. They showed me what it means to serve others, what it means to follow Jesus. Even at times, they would have the popular, so the unpopular hard chats with me about the idea of not working on Friday nights or Sunday mornings or playing that particular sport. Not because I wasn't good at those things or they weren't even good pursuits, but because they saw that there was a great need in my life to come to know Jesus. They spent their money and their time and their effort to ensure that I was in good places with good people to hear the good news. This morning's message is really just a heart cry for you. It's a heart cry. It's an appeal for you to consider what are the priorities in your life. And not just your life personally, but for those of you with a partner and kids, think about your family. You aren't saved by your works. It's not what I'm saying. You are saved alone by faith in Jesus. But your actions, they do speak volumes to those around you. So as the Restoration Church families, and as one of the pastors of it, I'm calling you to desire the eternal things. Desire the eternal things, not the things that will fade away. Go, enjoy those events, enjoy the activities, do it. It's okay. But just consider the balance of your life and what direction is it shaped like. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are a faithful God. Faithful, faithful, faithful is who you are. Thank you for the work on the cross that has made it possible for young and old, rich and poor, to come into relationship with you. We can be a people who our sins are forgiven, our debts are paid, and we might know might know you. Jesus, I pray for those in this room who right now, for them, uh, who don't know you. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you do a mighty work in them, that they would come to know you. That these meditations, these words would not be mine, but they would take root deeply in their heart. And that they would desire to trust you. Father, I pray for those of us who have already put our trust in you. And I ask that you would help us. Help us in our desires to seek, seek eternal things, to seek godly things. Convict us where needed.
prompt us where needed. Do whatever it is that you need to do, Lord God. Do it in my life. That I would continue to say no to the things of the world and yes to the things of you. Jesus, I thank you so much that you are gracious and you're merciful. And I just pray that we'd all come to um, fully understand that even better each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen.